The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to a special episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Happy to have you all with us. We thought we would take the air today on Tuesday instead of our normal Wednesday. We will still be taking the air on Wednesday, but we thought we would take the air in addition on Tuesday because of some news that have that has come down the pike about the Cincinnati Bengals because we've received a handful of questions throughout the weekend and the week. So we wanted to get to some of that today in conjunction with our usually usual weekly show. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and I'm joined by a very festive-looking John Sheeran, for those of you joining us via via video, whether that's through Facebook, Cincy Jungle's Facebook, or the YouTube channel. John, um, how you doing, buddy? I, I Do we have a name for the, the thing you're sporting on your head there? You know, I think we should just call it what it is and say it's a parrot hat. Um, okay. The reason why I'm wearing this is because I went upstairs in my house to get my phone charger to charge while the show's going on. And I figured, you know, I saw this in my closet and I figured I would probably, you know, there, there might be some people out there that want to kind of rub in my face about something that I might have said um, a week or two ago about a certain player who may have gotten released today. So I figured, you know, I might as well just get ahead of you know, eating crow on, on something like this. So we're, we're going to talk about that and we're going to talk about what I said. But yeah, this is my self-inflicted punishment for uh, unfortunately getting something wrong. So let's, that's, let's, that's let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, people have short memories, John. It's okay. It's okay. And, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot. So who knows what you can take serious with us or not. But we'll talk about that in a second. I do like the hat, though. A lot of, lot of positive compliments. It's a great hat. In the live chat. It's it a is great a great hat. hat. It is a great hat. We're going to talk about some news and notes, some recent happenings, where we're at in the state of affairs in terms of the Cincinnati Bengals a couple weeks into free agency as they prep for the draft. We are on the, the eve of the month of April, which is draft month, despite everything that's going on in the world. By the way, we hope you are all safe. We hope your family and friends are doing okay throughout this crazy, crazy time in the world. So stay safe out there. We also will be taking some listener questions. We've got some queued up. 
we'll be doing that kind of the last half of this episode. So if you want to leave some, do so in one of the live chats, Facebook or YouTube. We have a comment thread on cincyjungle.com we'll be looking at. You can tweet us at banglesobi on Twitter. The obinsider at gmail.com is the email address, or you can call and text us 949-542-6241. We'll be here for a little bit. And I do want to remind you that we will be still doing our own usual weekly show uh, tomorrow night, Wednesday night, uh, and we'll be talking more about the draft and some other topics. But basically, we, we, we kind of wanted to break this up because we feel like if we talked about everything, we tried to get to questions, we'd have a marathon show. So we wanted to kind of break this up for everybody here. John, the big news on Tuesday afternoon, or I guess Tuesday morning, was that the Bengals somewhat predictably cut ties with Dre Kirkpatrick saving themselves about $8.3 million in cap space this year. He had two years left on the contract, was set to be a free agent in uh, 2022, signed a massive five-year deal a few off-seasons ago. It was kind of one of those things where, you know, the quarterback market is always high-priced. It was high-priced at the time. But the Bengals also lost some other very high-profile free agents that same offseason. It was almost kind of like, here, we got to give some big money to somebody. Um, so that's that's kind of part of what happened there. But overall, your impressions of the Drake Kirkpatrick release, like I said, sort of expected. Maybe not also based on some things you had heard and relayed to us and other facets surrounding the situation. Right. Um just looking at why it happened, it makes complete and total sense. You signed yeah. Trey Waynes to a contract where he's going to be here for at least the next two years. He's making $31 million the next two years. Next two years, you have Drake or Patrick under contract. You're thinking, where are they going to have him on the field, right? He would be a rotational guy at best because he's not overtaking William Jackson in a position that he's established himself, especially when he's going to be in a contract year. You're not playing him in the slot. Best case scenario would be to have him on the on the roster as a backup, but a high price backup. So you think, okay, maybe you, re you restructure his deal. The way that his deal has already played out, it would be kind of hard to restructure and um, reposition some of that signing bonus money to kind of lower his cap. It. So that whole situation, I think, ended up not being very viable. And obviously, they would have liked to trade him, you know, instead of just cutting him for nothing, they would have liked to get something in terms of compensation. But I get the feeling that, that they really try very hard for that. And this is almost kind of like something that was almost an inevitability. And what, what I heard, you know, going into the situation, even after the Trey Wayne signing, was that Mike Brown was very enamored still with Tra with Drake or Patrick, and the Bengals did not want to release him. They didn't want to get have him take a pay cut or anything like this. But what ended up happening was what they should have done. They saved $8.3 million in, in cap space to get rid of a guy that was no longer going to be starting here. And I think we should all appreciate the good things that Dre did for this team. He had some great moments, specifically before he signed that $52 million extension. We have We have to also remember about that extension. Only twelve million dollars of that was guaranteed. Uh, Kevin right. Zeidler, who was signed that offseason, got like thirty million from the from the Cleveland Browns. Andrew Wilworth got about like twenty million for the Rams. Those are obviously the two guys that Bengals fans would have rather seen come back to Cincinnati. But Drake or Patrick, while he had the fifty-two million dollars attached to his name, only twelve million only twelve million dollars of that deal was actually real, and that's why the Bengals were so willing to you know, offer him that deal because that's the that's the type of deal that the Bengals would typically offer to their own um, free agents. So I, I think when you look back at, at the Kirkpatrick era, there was obviously that very long and, you know, the, the fact that he didn't get, get out of the field for the first three years because he was injured. He just couldn't, you know, overtake the, some of those veteran starters. But he did have a couple of good years from 2015 to 2016 that ended up having him earn that contract. But it was definitely time with the way that that whole group evolved and the fact that he was just going to cost too much money to not 
be the contributor that he once thought he was. So it, it, it had to happen. It would have been nice to, to see him stay on as a backup for a lesser price. But if that wasn't viable, then this was the only opportunity. This is the only route that they could have taken. Yeah. You know, I'm seeing a lot of, I'm seeing a lot of mixed emotions from Bengals fans in terms of this move. You know, it's, you know, this is a tough day and yeah, I mean, he was with the team for, for quite a long time. And uh, you know, he was a guy that played pretty well at times was kind of a big play guy at times and a big play guy that for both the, for both the, uh, the positive and the negative you, you look here, John, I mean, you talked about when Dre received this extension and I believe it was going into 2017 that he yes. got the extension. So really at the time it, you had a cornerback that the team felt was I, I pulled up the stats for those tuning in live or, or watching the video feed after really what you have is a, a player. When you look at 2015, 2016, those were the first two years where he was relied upon to start. They felt at the time that he was a player entering his prime as a cornerback would probably play out or most of this next contract. And at that point, you know, you, you maybe reassess things from there and, and decide whether you wanted to keep them or not. Cornerbacks, good starting solid cornerbacks are hard to find. And, you know, the team felt at the time that this was a guy that they could rely upon a building block piece. They felt that they had that guy entering his prime. Unfortunately, what you see is, you know, as, as a reserve guy in 2013 and 2014, six combined interceptions, two total return for touchdowns. In 2016, you mentioned the good season there, three interceptions and another one in 2017. You know, you also pointed out other facets. I mean, double-digit pass, pass defensed in 2015 through 2017 basically a combined 40 throughout uh, for those three seasons. So pretty solid work in that regard as well. But the penalties, and as you see, John, 2015, 2018, 2019, granted some injuries the past couple of years, but three seasons as a starting cornerback, and you have zero interceptions. Interceptions are not the end-all, be-all statistic for a cornerback, but it's something you just you need more turnovers, and unfortunately the Bengals did not get that from him. And the injuries last year, they obviously kind of the Dre was a holdover from Marvin, and this this team wanted to go a different direction. So I think it would have been nice if he had taken a pay cut. That position group got decimated last year by injury. So you would have liked to have had that in in the pocket. But you know, if you could take a pay cut or or you know, even if you're hanging on to him with that salary and he's number four on your depth chart, it just doesn't make sense. And I think most people remember the negatives, the, the pass interference penalties, the missed tackles, things like that. He did have some big plays. Unfortunately, with business decisions, they're the most difficult to make. And that's kind of where we're at with this thing. Yeah. And another another thing about like as soon as he got that contract, last three years combined, his average coverage grade from PFF is about 62. That 2016 yeah. season, that was his best year as a starter in terms of coverage rate. It was 71. He only had like nine penalties that year after having 13 the year before. Um, it allowed a pass rating of just 68.9. And then the three years following that, it was 92.7, 82.4. A lot of pass rating of 126.5 last year. So it, it, it didn't, I don't 
I don't know if it was just the fact that he was playing in a contract year that allowed him to elevate his game, but they, they definitely weren't reaping the benefits of, of of who he was after they signed that contract. So unfortunately, the return on, the, the return on investment was never there. But honestly, the last three years are basically the culmination of who Dre was as a player, right? He was a guy who had very inconsistent ball skills. He bit a lot on double moves. He got really handsy and, and unfortunately ended up getting flagged a lot. But th- th- those things kind of happen all, all throughout his group. And we, and when, when he was in that, the, I guess, the prime of his career from like 2015 to 2016, you saw a lot more better moments. You saw a lot more times where he attacked the ball better. He got more ball production. He ended up making a lot more better plays. And you kind of took that with it because that's just the nature of cornerback play. You know, you're going to lose a lot, especially to, to athletes that are better. You and Dre was never this prototypical athlete for the position. But the good plays have always countered that. And unfortunately, we just didn't see a, a good number of, of, of impact plays and positive plays from him in the past couple of years. And that's honestly why the perception of him is sour to the point where it was. And obviously the, the big salary number to his name didn't, didn't really help those matters at all either. So I think at the end of the day, the player who Dre is now is who he was destined to be coming out of Alabama, the player and the prospect that he was, it was good that he had those couple of years to end up, you know, having him earn now $48 million in total from the Bengals in eight years. Um, but unfortunately this is, that's that, that who he is now is just, is just who he is. And um, we, we shouldn't expect him to be any better going forward. Look, the guy was also, I know this isn't what you pay tens of millions of dollars for, but the guy was also a a great team ambassador. Uh, He did a lot of stuff in the community, did a lot of stuff in his own home, home area was, was really a team guy. And in a few years from that implosion against the Steelers and the subsequent four years of pretty awful football that followed, he was still Rah, rah, go Bengals. I want to be here. I believe in Marvin Lewis. I believe in Zach Taylor. I believe in what this team's doing. And you got to commend him for that. Uh, And I I think at least some rational Bengals fans, I think, can sit here and say, well, look, the play was inconsistent, but there was at least the, the right attitude in a guy who really tried to step up and be a leader once the team in that same offseason they signed him lost a couple of critical team leaders. He tried to step up and be that guy because he had that high-profile contract and had a modicum of success with the Bengals. We're going to be here for a few more minutes getting through some more news and notes as well as taking some questions in the last half of the show. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. We are with CincyJungle.com, and this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show on a number of different platforms, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Megaphone, iHeartRadio. We have our own YouTube channel. And all of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. This podcast and a couple of others are part of the, uh, essentially the group of official Bengals podcasts for SB Nation. Our show, Orange is the New Black by Ace Boogie and Zim Hude, as well as Matt Minnick, who goes, who does his Chalk Talk episodes, does film review and other interviews. So check out all of the shows, how you can, however you like to get the podcast and join our show live when you're able whether it's through our YouTube channel, Cincy Jungle's Facebook feed. We'd love to have you. Real quickly, John, the Bengals added another cornerback. It was kind of a little, I guess, a confusing move because it was like he was released and then maybe re-signed. There's a lot of different stuff going on with Greg Maben, uh, a reserve corner, probably, you know, probably a guy that's going to be grinding for a roster spot going forward. But um he is added to the cornerback group as Drake or Patrick exits that 
minimum salary, probably not much more than a training camp slash preseason body. I would assume I hate to say that about a particular person, but at this point, when you sign two high profile cornerbacks and free agency, I think that's kind of where Mabin's role will be coming up. Right. And he was a restricted free agent entering the soft season because they signed him as a street free agent last year when they had all those injuries at the position. So he was one of the guys that had to step up when William Jackson and Drake Patrick uh, missed a lot of time last year. Um, but they did the same thing that they did with Tory McTire. So both of those guys mm-hmm. entered restricted free agency. They didn't stick a tender onto them. So then they entered unrestricted, unrestricted free agency. And then they resigned both of them to one year deals. Maven's going to get the same deal. The retire is it's veteran minimum going to be about an $800,000 salary cap hit. He's going to compete with guys like Tony Brown and Winston Rose to, to, you know, potentially take that sixth or even seventh quarterback spot. I mean, my, right now they have nine guys on the roster, including LaShawn Sims, who they signed as like your Tony McRae replacement as the guy that you would want to make the roster as a special team contributor. And you obviously have Phillips, Darius Phillips, Mackenzie Alexander, William Jackson, and Trey Wayne. So, it's it's interesting to look at this position group and think there's there's a lot of bodies, but there's not a lot of long-term stability because the vast majority of these guys have just one year left on their deals. So yeah. you think you think like maybe cornerback is a, is a position that you would logistically target in the draft to just have a guy under contract beyond 2020, but also there's just not, not there's just not a lot of room at this position group right now. And you, you like the potential of guys like Tony Brown and Winston Rose who you signed before guys like Maven, but it, yeah, like you said, Maven and McTire for that matter just just here to be bodies for training camp in the preseason. And if they make waves, they make waves, but you know, they're just, they're on one year deals for a reason. Yep. So the Bengals need to, they do need to find some stability. Waynes is the guy they're moving forward with for the next three years, but William Jackson in a contract year, Mackenzie Alexander, one year contract. So yeah, there's a lot to, lot to sort out there for sure. John, let's segue into, because you have had many different pieces of discussion on the Cincy Jungle comment threads, as well as on Twitter about where the Bengals are at salary cap wise and space. And I know it's still a little fluid because specifics with the new acquisitions haven't been fully divulged, but you seem to have a pretty clear picture on that. And I was hoping you could relay that to the rest of us and our listeners. Right. So right now, or at least for today, when Kirkpatrick was released, I think over the cap and Spotrack had the Bengals at approximately $12 million in cap space. That that Those numbers don't include G.G. Reader's contract. It doesn't include Josh Bynes' contract. And it doesn't include LaShawn Simpson's contract. I believe Jeff Hobson, after G.G. Reader was signed, alluded to G.G. Reader having a cap hit of about $10 million. And you mm-hmm. would think, realistically, Bynes and Sims aren't going to cost you more in total than 3 or $4 million. So any number that you see right now, it would be best to just subtract 13 to $14 million from that. So... Before Drake and Patrick got released, they were at about $12 million. So you would think with those three contracts on the books, they would be in negative cap space. So this this release gives them $8.3 million in space. The official listing right now is about 20 because it doesn't include Reader, Bynes, and Sims. But if you add all those guys in, I think you're at about 7 to $8 million in actual cap space. And that's not enough, obviously, to get the seven draft picks signed. I think uh, both those websites are listing the total rookie pool for the Bengals at about 11 to 12 million. Right, so they still need right. to free up a, a few million in space and they would obviously like to get Andy Dolan's contract off the books. So a- any listing you see right now, you should probably just subtract 13 to $14 million until re- readers contract details become available and obviously binds and Sims. 
So let's parlay that into the start of taking some of these listener questions that are coming our way. So if you want to get in touch with us, please do and leave your question how you can. There's kind of a, to piggyback on a couple of them, Josh Holland in the live Facebook, as well as uh, Tom Stevens in the live Facebook. Uh, They've got a couple of questions here. Basically, what happens to the eight plus million dollars? Is it going somewhere else? Is it going to another player? Or like you said, is it basically just kind of freeing up space for the rookie pool and what they usually like to do in season windfall, that sort of thing. And kind of catching back up from the other signings that they've made. Right. And I think for the first time, and I don't know how long the Bengals were actually in salary cap trouble. Like they've always said that they were (laughs) because they like to, you know, allocate tens of millions of dollars for resources that they may or may not use. But, for the first time, yeah, they were actually, if if not in negative cap space, extremely nearing cap space or negative cap space. So that wasn't an actual problem because none of these contracts are official and they're not a, technically on the books yet in terms of the actual NFL transactions table and all that stuff. But yeah, they needed to get Dre's contract off the book if all eight of their unrestricted free agent signings become official along with uh, AJ Green's franchise tag and the four restricted free agents that they signed. So um, I don't think the eight million specifically goes to one player or another. I just think it was space that they actually needed and logistical space to create because you're not paying that much for just a backup at this point. Yeah, I, I think if anything, there's going to be that money would maybe go to a rental type of deal, an affordable rental type of deal for a veteran, especially after the draft, if they need a guy that maybe at a position that they maybe didn't get in the draft, or as I mentioned on our last episode, the Bengals could be looking for other players at positions of need post June 1st cuts and post final cuts. Those are, Mm -hmm. those are guys on the waiver wire that they may look to pay. Let's, let's go to some of our other, uh, let's on Twitter at Bengals OBI is our account. Anthony, please answer my question. I am not in favor of trading what I assume is the Burrow pick, no matter the compensation, but just in case, haha, what would an offer to be too good to pass Randy Dalton on Twitter? And we also got another question from another listener saying, you know, what if Miami offered you this, that, and the other thing, you know, picks for next couple of years. I, I, I kind of tire of talking about this, but it is kind of the topic du jour, I guess. I don't, I, I just, I don't, I don't see the scenario. If the Bengals had a completely inactive free agency, like they usually did, and you, you're kind of wondering, how are you a better team? Where have you made improvements? How have you spent the money to improve your team? You know, they added two cornerbacks. They added an impact defensive tackle. They added an impact linebacker. These are some of the holes that needed to be filled in the draft. And now just go get your quarterback. I mean, it, it just, it seems, it's just simple. This You have who many believe is a generational talented quarterback had one of, if not the best college football season ever by a quarterback. You plugged holes in free agency. You spent the money you've sat down and you've, you've interviewed them. Just don't mess around. Just, just make the pick, make it chill burrow. Even if they didn't have the free agency period that they had, they still need to take the quarterback because no position, right. in no, no position gets you in a better position to be competitive than getting the top tier quarterback. The offer would be too big for the Dolphins to even consider. If you want to put, if you want to quantify it, I need every first round pick that they have for the next three to four years. 
and probably some day two picks as well. It would be an offer that they there's under no circumstances would the Dolphins ever take it, but that's what it would take, which is why this does this isn't even a discussion. It's something that the Dolphins want, and it's something the Bengals don't want. So there's not going to be some type of compromise here because one side literally does not want to move back. They want to take the quarterback that they want to take. Yeah, the Bengals have the leverage here, so that's that's good news there. But I've kind of said this on Twitter before. If someone is willing to move up and give you this treasure trove of picks, doesn't that signal to you that the single player that they're moving up to probably get holds immense value? I mean, it's very simple. I mean, you can sit sit here and armchair quarterback it and say, no, you can go get pass rushers. You can get bolstered the offensive line and get maybe a lesser talented quarterback and they could still have success behind a bolstered offensive line, et cetera, et cetera. J- j- just go get the quarterback. Just go get the quarterback. I, I There's not too much that the Dolphins would be willing to part with that I would take if you're looking to get Joe Burrow. Let's move on because that, that could just be an entire episode in itself. Uh, Patrick Esther emailed us saying, talking about the Sean Williams at linebacker with the Von Bell signing. Um, do you think that Sean Williams, you talked about this a little bit on our, on our show last week, John, is him potentially playing a linebackerish role? Is that, is he the one that's going to move up and play the linebacker role? Is Von Bell the one that's going to move up and do the more in the box stuff? Or is Williams out of the picture now that they paid Bell quite a bit of money and they want to save potentially more cap space after the Drake Kirkpatrick? release everyone's calling sean williams a linebacker right now and i think it's just it's safer to call von bell that because yeah. you know, i think i think no matter what you do with williams you're gonna have bell do exactly what you had williams did last year and williams had the vast majority of his snaps at linebacker and that's where von bell has played the best in his past with new orleans so i think if the bengals had any brains whatsoever building this defense they would recognize that they shouldn't play von bell as a, as a deep safety in whatever scheme they want to run if they want to do that then they if they want to have another deep safety back there with Bates, then they should make it Williams to get him on the field as much as possible with the money that he's making. I think it's either that or Williams is out of the picture entirely. I don't think they need to free up that $4 million in space. I think Williams is valuable depth at the position regardless. But I, I think that Devon Bell is essentially a linebacker now. If, if he's going to take the role that Sean Williams did last year, and you can call Williams whoever you want, but he's not very good in the box. That's why he had his worst season last year. We've already been over this countless right. times at this point. He plays the best when he's in that cover two safety role where he can get downfield. And you would think it's kind of counterintuitive because he missed a lot of tackles because it doesn't take a lot of good angles. And you would think having him close to the line of scrimmage would eliminate those problems, but that's just not the case. He's just better back there. He's more comfortable back there. Maybe he was dealing with some injuries last year. Maybe that's the reason why he was struggling. Regardless, um, Bell's perfect for, for to do what they asked Sean Williams to do last year. That's what's going to happen. The question is whether Williams stays and, I would be fine if he stayed, if he if he you know was depth at safety, or if he played more in traditional safety role. But if not, then that, then they'll be fine with just Bell. Where do you want to go next? Uh, we got a question here. I want, I want to answer this. I want to take two separate questions to kind of convert them into one, if that's okay. Okay. So we got no, from the not YouTube, allowed. Not allowed. All right, fine. Uh, <laughs> so from the YouTube comment section, we got Mister Whis- Whisper. He's asking, do you think with the possibilities of AJ not sticking around for longer than one year? And Ross not painting out, that it would be wiser to take a wide receiver at 33, even if a good offensive lineman and linebacker are there. And we also had X, X, Exit Mer, X Diaz from Facebook. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> there been, you go. Uh, 
Denzel Mims or Justin Jefferson if you had the choice. And I feel like that would be a conversation to have if both those wide receivers are there and you're also thinking about that philosophical question from Mr. Whisper. So what, do you, what what are your thoughts on that? I'll answer the second part of the question first. I'm going to Tarantino the thing. Uh, I will – if I'm taking Joe Burrow and I have a choice between Justin Jefferson and Denzel Mims, Mims may be a little bit more higher upside in terms of athleticism, et cetera. Jefferson kind of surprised us all with his uh, workout numbers, et cetera. But I, I would just say the chemistry is already there with the quarterback you're taking. Uh, and if you're going to be relying on rookie wide receiver, rookie quarterback chemistry and knowing just knowing each other is kind of a big thing to help eliminate potential turnovers. So if, if it comes down to that decision, I would probably take Jefferson to pair with Burrow over Mims. Mims may be a better overall prospect in a lot of eyes, but to, to, for the specific quarterback, the Bengals appear to be taking, I would probably take Jefferson in that scenario. In terms of, I think the initial question was overall need, taking a a wide receiver at number 33. I have no problem taking a wide receiver at number 33. I think that this draft, now what the Bengals have done in free agency, which has been defensive heavy, I think that this draft, you're probably going to see five of their current seven picks they hold be on offense, at least. And that's probably, to me, that's your quarterback. That's an interior offensive lineman, probably an offensive tackle, a wide receiver and tight end or two wide receivers instead of another tight end. I I definitely see the team going offensive heavy in the draft and getting some young influx of talent that way. Potentially 33. Those two guys you mentioned would be guys I would look at at 33. If you go defense in the second round, third round, you know, you've got – your Michael Pittman's, maybe you take a flyer on a Chase Claypool based on his workouts, the big, huge, kind of prototypical wide receiver guys. Depends on kind of what you want. The good news is this is a very deep class, and you could probably get contributors well into rounds four or five. Uh, and uh, I think the Jefferson conversation has been weird because, le- like, our own Brian Creamer in the YouTube comment section saying many of these guys would buzz would be redundant with them already having Boyd. I-, I think the perception's weird with Jefferson because, he's one, he's a much better athlete than Tyler Boyd. Too. Like he had a lot of slot production at LSU, but I, I really love Pro Football Focus's comparison to him, and it's Marvin Jones because he had a 92% catch rate mm-hmm. and contested catch situations. He's obviously much faster. He he does a lot. He, he's a great route runner already. He does a great job of high pointing the ball and just you know just plucking balls out of the air. And like you mentioned, there's that already existing chemistry with Joe Burrow. Denzel Mims excites me a lot as an overall wide receiver prospect, but. I don't, I don't see these redundancies with having Jefferson and Boyd on the same team. And he, even, even if that's to be the case, if you want to run an offense that Joe Burrow has experience running, go four wide, go in these two by two, um, you know, type of spread offense looks with men, excuse me, Jefferson and Boyd and on the slot on each side of the formation and have them just do what they do best. I think that Jefferson, his overall profile speaks much better than I think the perception about him is, is right now, especially with the fact that he tested a lot better as an athlete at the combine, but just the player who he is, he's, he's a much more downfield deep threat jump ball type of player than I think he's getting credit for. So I would definitely have no problem taking Jefferson over him. So that, if that's the case. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's segue into another question. Good friend of the show, Dan from Tennessee texted us, you know, this may be a offensive heavy draft. This may be a, a kind of, a way that Zach Taylor molds this team in his image, so to speak. 
there were some noticeable struggles last year in terms of the play calling, growing pains with him as a head, both a head coach and an offensive play caller. It started to get a little better towards the end of the season, but it was more reliant on the run. Dan just kind of lays it out. Should he relinquish play call duties in 2020, meaning Zach Taylor? Uh, no, I, I think you give him one more year with his actual quarterback. I, again, like I, I know people want to you know, be hard on Taylor for the lackluster job that the offense did to begin. And you obviously account for injuries as well, but, Man, like uh, it's weird because we're 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 getting to the part where a lot of people are seeing why Andy Dalton needs needs to go and why he was the problem, but we're still not fully there because Taylor had to deal with Andy Dalton being his quarterback, and there's so many limitations you can have with the playbook as well, along with being an inexperienced play caller. I I don't think people are properly weighting the fact that Andy Dalton had probably his worst year as a professional last year, and the fact that that limited a lot what Taylor could do in his offense. He had to simplify completely. Defenses were able to adjust very fast. The fact that they didn't have a lot of personnel that could stretch the field. Defenses were allowed to just take advantage and just, you know, just run train on them and not, not, not let them have any explosive plays down the field. The fact that they didn't have an offensive line that could run block well for Joe Mixon. The fact that they had to get the ball out quickly because they couldn't rely on the pass protection. There were all these types of factors that I don't think was necessarily fair to Zach Taylor. And a lot of them had to do with the quarterback plays. So I don't think that we should just, throw out the plan of Zach Taylor calling plays until we see issues with an actual competent quarterback under center. I agree. I think that you got to give him, if, if, if you're going to do this, you know, the cliched three year window for the head coach where you give him a year to see to where he reassesses the roster that was under the previous regime, you give him years two and three to rebuild the roster and his image and implement really his style of play, his game plan, all that kind of stuff. You got to give him at least a year as still a play caller or the primary play caller, what have you with a new quarterback. That's his guy, a new group of players. That's that are his guys, that sort of thing. I would not be opposed to him maybe leaning on somebody or maybe it be a play calling by committee or a a scheme by committee a little bit more than maybe it was last year. However, I think that we're going to see less predictability because of the massive amount of injuries that that the offense was hit with. You're going to see less of a vanilla style of play because of who's under center and potentially these guys coming back from injury, that sort of thing. Maybe an uptick in offensive line play based on Jonah Williams and then whoever else they bring in in this year's class. I, I think you got to give him another year. I think you got to give him another year to see it. And if there's not anything more than marginal improvement, then I, I think he's got to take the reins away from himself and give them off to somebody else. Let's get out of here in a minute or two, John. Anything else, any other questions that we need to get to before we do or ones that you would like to get to? Uh, I want to go back to, um, we had an email from Danny from the UK, our friends overseas. He okay. asked, yeah, yeah. who would the Bengals have had to sacrifice in free agency aside from Josh Bynes had they landed a big linebacker like a Joe Schobert or a Corey Littleton? To me... It has, and I hate to say this, it, it might have been Reader, yeah, uh, both because of the price tag, but that was where their immediate pivot went, at least in terms of when the news cycle kind of trickled out. It was Reader, and then like later on, it was Trey Waynes, and then the next day it was like Mackenzie Alexander. 
so to me, I, I think both because of the price tag and frontline defense or run defense type of players, I, I think that's I, I think that's who would have been sacrificed. And and right now, if it's if you were asking me, would I have taken a Schobert or a Littleton and a lesser defensive, maybe like a Schobert or a Littleton and Andrew Billings, or a Josh Bynes and a DJ Reader, I probably would have went Reader and Bynes over Billings and Schobert or Littleton. That's just me. Probably not by much either. But I, I to answer the specific question, I think Reader would have been the guy who probably would not have been signed if they got one of those big price tag linebackers. I agree. And they were obviously in the the Schobert negotiations and discussions up until the very end. I think it was just Jacksonville just barely crossed the finish line with with, with a, a price tag that the Bengals didn't want to match. And also, Schobert got one extra year than Reader did, and that may have been just too much yeah. that, that they didn't want to commit to. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I think Reader would have probably been the, the next guy out. I think they had a plan at cornerback regardless of what they were going to do at linebacker or defensive line. Interesting interesting thing is, though, like there's still a quality, a good number of quality defensive linemen still out there. I think Derek Wolf just signed with the Ravens about a couple days ago for only like $6 million for just one year. Shelby Harris had to re-sign with the Broncos because his market wasn't wasn't doing too well. So I, I love DJ Reader as the player. I think he provides a massive upgrade over what they were. It's just a matter of just there, – there was a little more – the defensive line and specifically the interior defensive lineman class was a little bit deeper than the linebacker class. So maybe you would have thought that they would have been more wiser to get one of the best linebackers and maybe peek into the later market of the defensive lineman. But I think the way they handled it, it still ended up being, being – more than okay because I, I think you have more questions about Joe Sherbert, Joe Schobert as a player than you would have DJ Reader. I think you're more confident in your money going to Reader than Schobert in, in that regard, and you you would like the one year investment with Bynes because he's proven himself at this point. So the way they handled it is fine, but I think if they had they had gotten a Schobert or a Littleton, I think like you said, Reader would have been the guy that they would have gotten. The other thing I want to talk about is. You know, we get this question every, almost every time we take the air, is Clay Matthews, Clay Matthews, Clay Matthews. I, you know, I, I don't know that we will see Clay Matthews on the Bengals. I don't, I don't, it, it kind of screams as a Bengals, typical Bengals free agency signing. Maybe they get him on a rental deal borderline Hall of Fame player toward on the back slide of his career, maybe only has a couple years left, could come in as a rotational guy, yada, yada. But I, either way, I think that's that's probably the missing piece of what's left in free agency, whether it's the post-June 1st, whether it's the way, you know, final cuts or waiver wire or, you know, I think that that's maybe the last free agency piece because you mentioned Derek Wolf. That was a guy they had a very early visit with in the free agent period. They also, Chris Smith was another guy that they, you know, courted before he went off to Carolina. Um, you know, they've Shaq Barrett last year, they want a rotational edge defender to go with who they, who they already have. So I, I don't know if Clay Matthews will be the addition, but John, I, I do think that someone on a rental deal will probably be talked about, especially if they don't get the guy they want in a couple of weeks. Right, and I think the player that Clay Matthews is is that stand-up 34-ounce linebacker guy who can yeah. also potentially drop back. I think that's the guy they're going to be targeting in the draft. It's just a matter of if that guy is going to be there in the draft because this, is, this isn't exactly a, a very strong edge rusher class, uh, like specifically the top portion of it. So 
if if a guy like Zach Bond isn't isn't there that, that second round pick, I think they're gonna they're gonna have to get creative in order to add that add that kind of guy. Um, yeah, Clay Matthews wouldn't come here on more than the one year deal. Who who even knows if he's gonna play football this year? Anyways, he's already right. like this is like his twelfth year in the league, so it it wouldn't you know blow by anybody's you know it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise anybody if he just doesn't play football at all this year. Um, but yeah, he doesn't necessarily solve anything because we don't know how much he has left in the tank. But the fact of the matter is, they just don't have a lot of guys that at address right now. So would he hurt? No, but would he help? I also don't know that either. Right. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We've gone through some news and notes and a number of different listener questions. Thank you for everyone for not only tuning in, but for submitting your questions. We tried to get to as much as we can and different platforms that you may have submitted those to us. So we appreciate that. We're going to try and get to more and more listener questions throughout the off season. So continue to send those our way. If we didn't get to yours today or this week, definitely keep sending them our way. We, we do hold on to some that we don't get to and put them on a future show. So continue to be in touch with us. We want to, we want to continue answering as many questions as possible. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's John Sheeran. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. As I mentioned, you can get it on a number of different audio platforms wherever you download your podcasts. We're also on YouTube. All of our stuff is on cincyjungle.com. We've got a lot coming at you on this specific program over the next couple of weeks. We're lining up some uh, pretty high-profile interviews that we hope end up panning out, so we're trying to get that going. We We'll have an immense amount of draft coverage, both on our program as well as on cincyjungle.com. So keep it to both for that breakdown of picks, probably even some live streaming as picks happen, et cetera. So uh, we're still kind of game planning that, but we will have an immense amount of draft coverage as we did last year. So keep it to our show and cincyjungle.com. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Thanks for contacting us. We're going to have our regularly scheduled show again, Wednesday night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, we're going to do that. We just decided to do some of this stuff. And then, because there's so much to talk about, we're splitting it up basically into two different episodes. So hopefully you enjoy that. Thanks, John. Uh, I don't know if you want to retire that hat or not, but... uh, I might be allergic because I'm noticing my neck is kind of red. (laughs) So I I need to take this off as soon as possible. You may may need to throw that thing in the washing machine if it's been sitting in a closet for a while, man. I did not think this through, to be honest with you. (laughs) Well, it was a big hit. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people seemed to like it. So, uh, well, thanks, bud. I know that we kind of did this impromptu, but appreciate you jumping on here and giving your usual good insight. As always, man. All right. Take it easy, everyone.